0: Greetings, and welcome to Brace. On today's episode, Paul and I continue the conversation with Jan Alnessy. I know Jan through my introduction from Paul back in 2019. I was able to then contact Jan and chat on the phone a couple of times as I was trying to produce my podcast. So, as you'll hear on today's episode... It's kind of a full circle, this episode. So this is a very exciting podcast to put out, and we hope you enjoy. Thanks.
1: How much social media can be involved in someone that's living a life like that?
2: I think it all goes back to intention of engagement, right? I have a ton of social media in my life. My intention is to post, not to look at all my notifications. My intention is to create and to disseminate knowledge, not to consume. So I use it constantly, but I'm not really on it. If that makes sense.
1: I wasn't even asking that in terms of for you. Yeah. But just as a human well, being. Well that but
2: that's that's what I'm saying. Like as you're applying it out, like what's the intention, right? The reason why I'm capable of being a tech entrepreneur and a marketing consultant that also lives a very grounded life is the intention behind my usage of the platform. If you are doom scrolling on Instagram because you're procrastinating. You shouldn't be doing that, right? <laughs> like, and 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 just being aware of that those those all of those systems are engineered to keep you there. That's the big thing for right? me
1: is that first of all, the episode that
2: came like out- engaging with it is risky. Very ri- when you it's, don't when know it's how to created build it
1: up. specifically to keep you engaged by a lot of really really smart people by a lot of really smart computers that, that have been doing it for a decade a and a half. Yep. Like that's why for me, uh, first of all, the episode of this podcast that came out. The day we're recording this is on AI, chat GPT, okay. um all of that stuff, uh, <laughs> the deep fakes that were very popular last week, uh, all of that. That at Lens AI, I got that yeah, because yeah. of you. That was that was a funny thing. I'm still am a fan of those pictures that it came out with. Though. Oh, I love
2: it, dude! mean you still, you, until you do research into where and it's, then you're rooted. like, oh, shoot, okay, well, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why I was texting people where I'm like, hey, do you? If you want to sell your soul to the Russians, then like, here you go. Because yeah. like here's a perfect route. <laughs> but
1: my my point was like okay if you ever had an open Instagram, that's it's already done. It's already done. Yeah, like, you don't have it's to. It's already done. Right? There's you're not selling anything that isn't already bought. Um, all of that is just to say the. For me, social media has always been like I deleted my Facebook in 2012. Some people right. didn't have it at that point, but. uh, I've always had a bit of a tenuous relationship where it's like it's hard for me to have it and not overuse it, mm-hmm. um, and so that's something mm-hmm. that I'm constantly every t- any time I meet someone and they have a TikTok, I'm like delete your TikTok, like get it get rid of it because that's right. the best algorithm they they created the best one and people get sucked into it for hours at a time. Oh yeah, and it's like when you're saying I have a goal. That's of- another
2: reason why I feel like I get so much more done Are people that I know that are dissociated from social enough? They give enough themselves enough space. Is because it's easy to look like you're sprinting when everyone else is, like, walking. Or yeah. sitting on the couch. Or sitting on the couch and not even moving. Right. Right? Like, it looks like you're an Olympian, and you might only be the conditioning of a high school athlete. But, yeah, people just get sucked into TikTok for hours.
0: Well, on the TikTok thing, to play devil's advocate on the TikTok concept, right, the way they use it over in China, or at least from what I've heard, is science, mathematics. Yep. It's a different algorithm. Inspirate is it? Yes. Or are we different consumers? Because no, because no, I think it's the same thing. It's because not. All I see
1: I mean, yes, I get it. Yes, it By is. ByteDance Dance owns the one in the US, <laughs> like and the parent company in China has a different company that allows that but what I'm saying is not ev- called TikTok in China.
0: I mean, similar to how you mentioned your your social media yeah. sphere. My echo chamber, yeah. Your echo chamber. All that I'm being fed right now is entrepreneur, like inspiration, like, yeah. and so there's times when I'll be on it, but you know, by just setting a timer, oh, okay. That breaks the, the understanding there. But my thought is if you're feeding the right wolves in a sense, could you draw positives from tools like TikTok? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Cool. All right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, it's input equals hey, output. It so. In, input equals output, right? With any of these social platforms, the problem is, is that the majority of people don't have the discipline to set the timer. That's not a standard, like mode of uh, engaging with TikTok, right? Um, and then the other thing is that social media, as we were talking about earlier, tends to bring out dark tetrad parts of your shadow personality. But right? why?
0: Because I I believe that it's all on the individual the the problem with the social media
1: algorithms especially ones like TikTok is it's not conscious decisions yeah. that you're making it's what your thumb doesn't quite move as fast on so if you happen to have a, a proclivity towards this type of thing that isn't
0: beneficial to you it leaks in it leaks in but it's again that is on the consumer to me
2: yeah well, i get what I'm you're i get what you're pointing at on the individual yeah. side the Algorithms, I would say, can do more by what they choose not to expose you to than what they choose to expose you to. So, to get, to reinforce Paul's side of the house, right? The person that owns the algorithm at this point in human existence has godlike capabilities of manipulating consciousness. For sure, right? I agree that it is on the individual responsibility in order to figure out how to engage with said platform. However, can you fault an individual that did not realize that they were engaging with something that was so powerful that they didn't understand how to use it and it impacts them negatively because they end up leaning into these proclivities that they have because they're not as conscious of a person?
1: When you speak to the godlike abilities of the, the algorithm owner... There was a famous, and I'm I'm gonna butcher the exact context, but it was something like a, an inner circle, someone top executive at Facebook, right? That said, Mark basically wanted to be able to push a lever and cause a riot in a country. Yep. And if you think about the fact that everyone has Facebook, two billion people have Facebook, or whatever it is, three billion people. Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: what happens when you start to look at attention as a commodity? That's my, you know, that's yeah, a big thing. That's what when attention is a commodity, and I get, like we can we can argue about or not even argue, but we can we can debate individual culpability yeah, all day, yeah, right? Because we're humans, we're going through consciousness evolution, we're going through biological evolution at the same time, you know.
1: But our technological evolution is advancing in a way that our it's biology superseded us. Can't it has
0: superseded us. Keep at this up point. with well. I, I forget who said it. Uh, but it's super no, it's on uh the social dilemma. I think th- that's that Netflix documentary yeah, yeah, yeah. about all of this. And he said it's it superseded our worst versions of ourselves. Right. It may not have superseded the best versions of ourselves and that's why you know you're able to post and ghost, right? Uh, an expression from Rogan. You use it with the right intent, right? So Right. So, I
2: realize that it is
0: not reality.
2: Correct. That's the biggest thing, that, that there are people that believe, and, and I see this a lot more in Gen Zs than I do in millennials and any other like generation, by nature of the fact that we remember a world pre-dial-up, and you know, you're talking about your mission is passing on wisdom, here's a piece of wisdom for Gen Zs. Social media is not reality. The digital world is not reality. It, there was a world that existed way before you had all of these responsibilities on multiple platforms,
1: Well, and that's why, and
2: like, because social media places a load on a person, and I have to. I look at it as a load. It is a part of my routine. I dedicate half an hour to LinkedIn, half an hour to this, half an hour to this, half an hour to this. I'm posting. I'm crafting things because it's work. And what people, if but if you don't have that realization that social media is work, and you're a 15 year old, and you have to maintain your Snapchat, your Instagram, your Facebook. You know, all of these platforms, you're posting on them constantly. You're dealing with the comments constantly. You have all of these extra things that are layered on. You're now dealing with four or five different versions of reality, right? Because I know a lot of people, and y'all can't, like, tell me that you don't know people that are different people on IG than they are on Snapchat.
0: Yeah, or or, or Twitter. Or Or they
2: would do things on a message that would disappear in five seconds that they wouldn't in a permanence. That was, like, a a joke
1: at one point about, like, the, like the Jr. Smith meme of, like, the different versions of him, but, like, this is the LinkedIn yeah. profile, this yeah. is the Snapchat, this. So, like, absolutely, you have to, first of all, view it as work. That's a great way of looking at it. But why I say delete your insert social media is because when you talk about needing to focus first on personal development, if you are spending any amount of time that could turn into an unmanageable amount of time on any of these social medias you're giving that the opportunity to take an outside part of your life exactly yeah. own you and you don't have the opportunity then to actually develop personally because all of a sudden you find yourself staring at your phone and you're out of control
2: or you find yourself and this is a place that I found myself along my entrepreneurial journey in the tech world it's something that I had to grapple with and back to like y'all's points about like the building character and how do you sustain a company and like continue to be an entrepreneur without dying and burning out mm-hmm it's because like being an entrepreneur is like constantly engaging and standing in a purifying fire. Like The qualities that you are not allowed to have at the next level will get burned out <laughs> before you make it to the next level.
1: It's a purgatorial experience. It's a purgatorial
2: it's experience. A purgatorial experience. You're just stuck there in permanent purgatory. And you might as well just accept the fact that it's just going to be constant work on yourself and as you move forward. And as those qualities get burned out, though, you start to see the mistakes that you made in the past and all these different versions, right? And one of the mistakes that I made early on is I built a version of myself on LinkedIn. I built a goofy version of myself on TikTok. I built my probably closest to my true self on Snap because it was just like friends and family. And then I built a different version and I had all these audiences. It grew to 30,000. It grew to 50,000. The podcast grew to this. I had 7,000 people on Facebook. There's like so now I'm like, I have to maintain being this version of Yon and this version of Yon and this version of Yon and this version none of them are actually and none of them are none of them are actually Yon. Yeah. Right. So you start to feel almost schizophrenic at a t- at a point, right? Wow. And you're like, holy shit, I have to be all of these people. And then at some point I was able to retract and step back and it all came back in together where I'm like, wait a second. These are all just different talented versions. I'm doing different things on different platforms, but they're all me. And I brought that back in and that's why I'm so proud of like the part that part of my personal brand is that like, I'm always in boots and jeans everywhere, you know? <laughs> and then like, I so it's
0: kind of like be yourself at all times on all platforms.
2: Yeah. Just do what you do. You know what I mean? That's why I like, I just said the infamous rubber ducky, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> I post, I post, I get more messages about that duck on a weekly basis. That's literally a cute thermometer that I bought on Amazon to throw in my cold plunge tub than anything or like I'll just be like I'll be eating a burger in the car and I'm like yo I just had this thought or I'm like ruck marching and it's but it's stuff that I would normally do like if my rule is like if you didn't have social media would you be doing that thing if not question your intentions as to why you're posting it or why you're doing it who are you satisfying right who are you trying to impress what is it benefiting not you
1: and probably not your audience if you're not being authentic
2: right now there is one caveat to that, where it's sometimes your audience will push you to a level that you didn't think you could go to. Mm. If you and you, just, that's just discernment, right? You just have to know. You can feel it out. You can look at signal cues from your close friends. That's why it's important to have these ties and tell certain people your dreams because you can run ideas by them.
0: Yep. When you're making those big decisions, whose input matters more? I mean, as a spiritual individual yeah i would assume god and yourself are probably top two but then when it comes to other influences those relationships what then matters more on those big decisions so
2: i would say um if you have a highly if you feel like you have a highly developed intuition sense of self then your self counts if you don't if you can't figure out left from right if you're constantly breaking promises to yourself. If you are not able to stick to a consistent routine, if you haven't done the self work to get to a place where yourself actually knows what the fuck it's doing, don't trust it. That's when you have to lean on your externals.
1: Yeah. I would just to go off of that, I think probably going back to me asking the question of what a 21 year old might be able to take away from this, finding a group of people that you trust to keep their word Mm. and you trust with your aspirations. Yeah. I'd say would be maybe the biggest thing, right? Because if you don't have that group of people that you can say, this is what my plans are. This is what I would like to do. That can say, Paul, that's not realistic. You can't do that right now. And here's why. Then you can take that as truth and you can say, well, actually, I think I can, or actually you might be right. I might need to adjust this a little bit so that I create an achievable plan for myself.
2: Right. Well, and my rule of thumb is that if it appears from three different independent locations in your life that do not know each other and it manifests itself to you in a plan like that, that's when you take it seriously. Because if I listen to every dumb SOB that told me that I couldn't do what I'm doing right now, I wouldn't be doing it. Sure. But if I don't listen to three independent SOBs that all tell me I'm being a dipshit, I'm probably being a dipshit. And so that's kind of where I like to triangulate myself, right? And that's what I, I I kind of move through life that way. Where if like multiple locations around me are going like be do be do be do, I'm like, okay, I need to, I need to back off, take a step back. Yeah, but very rarely do am I am I leaning off of the opinion of one individual, no matter how insistent that individual is that they're correct. I mean, like, and that sucks. <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> tough. Yeah, tough. You're not changing my mind. The other side is ego hypoinflation. If you are around a bunch of people that never tell you no, you're in a horrible place. Yeah. Don't like get out of there. Um because the root for you is you're jumping off the cliff without well, they, the tools to either, make you in a plane. Yeah, there's only two reasons why a group of people would do that, right? At least in, in as far as I can that I've given it thought, right? There's two reasons why people would do that. It's because they've completely lost faith in you. So they're just not going to question it. And they're just, you know, at this point, they're along for the ride. Like if you're in a management structure and they're just employees that are tied to you and nobody ever questions you ever, you never getting any type of critical feedback, they just have given up. They don't care. They don't care anymore. And then the other one is that they are so far up your butt that they just want something out of you. And they're willing to do and slather on whatever they can to get it because that's psychopathic, right? That's sociopathic. There's, there's, there's tendencies to that type of behavior. That's very manipulative. But if you are somebody that like every now and then, like even if you just have that one employee, that's like, Hey, like you really everybody off today. Like you like this, this, and this, that's great. And you should seek more of that. Try to find as many ways to get critiqued as early on in your process as you possibly can. Because then by the time you get to where like 27, 28, 29, you have a dial that you can turn because you've hit enough points that you're like, oh, if I turn it a couple of degrees this way, I'm going to go this direction. If I make a couple of these decisions, I'm going to go this direction instead of just like having like a lever where you're just like,
1: I think it's really helpful to have those people in your life that you can have uh enthusiastic disagreements with. Like as a good way to a, put it on a regular basis. Like yeah. if you know, all right, I'm gonna That's call, how you
2: triangulate yourself. Right. Yeah.
1: If you can call somebody up and be like, Hey, these are my A, B, C, and D plans and they're like, Well, A is crazy. B might actually work. C, you should put that off about five years. So if you have someone that you can trust. (laughs) That's a great
2: friend right there too. Someone that says like, you can delay this, but not right now. Yeah. Cause that's somebody that knows you. Right. Right. That knows your, like your um, commitment to your word type of thing.
1: Right. And and I think that's, that's one of the big things also that um, I would probably put out there that you might agree with on um, young people looking to pursue entrepreneurship you know, and it kind of goes back to what Tommy was asking about earlier, but make public your plans that you are 99% sure you're going to be able to execute on. Like if, if you have a percent doubt, that's probably a healthy, normal thing. But if there's more than that, then you don't know that you have the ability to, to cover this. And then it's all right, don't do that yet go work on yourself until you have that ability to say, yep, I'm going to execute on this. And, and then just go go balls to the wall.
0: Right. So, so I only have to have 99%? Correct. Okay, then perfect. Well, and like don't
2: announce a goal that you can't see. That's another good way to look at it. Ah. Yeah. Right? So like once, so like if you can look out, no matter how crazy it is, because I don't like quantifying it as, you know, your wildest dreams shouldn't go out there or the ones that you have a slim chance of achieving. Because I, I thought that I maybe had a 10% chance of pulling this off. You know, when I threw all this out there, but that didn't prevent me from manifesting it. So I think a better way to look at it is if you can see it in such granular detail that you're willing to stake what you believe your reputation is on it, put it out there. That's the staking of the reputation. Anybody, no matter what anybody else says, like, like, and I, and I did like little tests with myself to figure out if I had the ability to do it before I took the leap in entrepreneurship. I told myself I was going to be a Golden Gloves competitor. Did that. Took up a belt. That's right. Right? Like, I told myself that I was going to get into mixed martial arts and I was going to be, like, a power lifter. Did that. Competed. You know, I I, I started to stack, like Hormozy was talking about, I started to stack this undeniable Undeniable proof. proof. And my life hadn't injected entrepreneurship into my head at that point, but I had already had this undeniable proof building up that by the time entrepreneurship injected itself, I was willing to make that bet because I was like, I'm a bad son of a bitch. And nobody can tell me any different. And it's taken me a long time to get comfortable saying stuff like that out loud again. Because for a long time, I was injecting myself with this false humility. But now, ever since I looked at it as like my talent, my personality, my forwardness, my boldness, the way that I approach the world is my cross to bear. And no matter how uncomfortable it makes me as an introvert announcing the fact (laughs) that this is how (laughs) I'm going to live in the world, I'm going to do it to make sure that other people know that they have permission to say it.
1: Well, and I think especially as a leader of a business, you know, when you have five, 10, 15 people that are relying on you for their employment and your vision and your boldness and your ability to lead, then, you know, as across your bearing, That's not optional at all. You have to be able to bring that every day and say, you know, this is what we're pursuing. This is what we're going after. Because otherwise there are people's livelihoods that are at
2: risk. You have to constantly engage with it and educate yourself in it too, right? Like I write a newsletter now on LinkedIn, which I'm super hype about. Because I like, I've only posted seven issues and we're closing in on 400 subscribers already, which I'm I'm super hype about. But it's literally just stuff that I nerd out on a weekly basis. It's called three things I learned last week. And it's just three random things that I pull together and I try to distill down and, and pass it out to people. And one of the things that I wrote about like some of these most recent issues is my personal learning schedule. Since I got out of school, I realized that in this early habit formation phase, if I autopilot learning in theology, philosophy, and psychology, those are three subjects that no matter how much you engage with them at whatever stage in life, you'll learn deeper and deeper things the more that you engage with them. Yep. So I calculated over the last five years how many hours, because I've dedicated myself three to five hours a week of philosophy, three to five hours a week of psychology, neuropsychology, neuroscience, and three to five hours a week of spiritual stuff. It's like 1,080 hours each of those subjects. It only takes 140 credit hours (laughs) to get a bachelor's degree. So I've essentially given myself a master's level education in theology, philosophy, and psychology, neuropsychology, and neuroscience over the last five years because of the internet.
0: And that's So you've done it for almost free. Pretty much. It's, it's almost like you don't need to go to school for an MBA at this point. You can learn all that information of course. Yeah. Out
2: there. Yeah. You can, and that's the thing. Like, information has become infinitely more accessible when with this whole AI revolution. You know, that's a different pocket that we won't open right now, but it's going to speed up by another ten to fifty x, right? So, if information is becoming a cheaper and cheaper commodity because it's easier and easier to access, and you can access more and more of it cross-referenced against itself, that means that your ability to know how to interact with that information is going to be the real skill set not the ability to access it necessarily.
1: Well, and and how to internalize?
2: And it. how to internalize and integrate it into your life. Yeah. And that's always been something I took from Tim Ferriss very early on, which was exper- there's no replacement for experiential truth. Yeah. So you can read stuff in an academic book as much as you want, you can do like you can talk about it until you're blue in the face. But until you go out there and do it, like you'll never you can intellectually feel as though you're as much of an expert as you want, but I guarantee that you could take somebody that has studied war their entire lives and drop them with an M4 and a vest on in the middle of a desert, they're going to their pants. Of course. But that person that may not have ever taken a single class at war college but has been boots on the ground the entire time yep. knows what's up. And that's why, like, throughout my entire career, whether it's nursing, I did what the nurse's aides did. You know, like I always made sure as an RN, I was helping them turn patients and clean patients. Starting the business, I make sure that I take responsibilities that nobody else wants to do. I'm in the trenches. I'm writing blogs. I'm working with clients. I'm not in an ivory tower making decisions, (laughs) right? Like I'm boots on the ground. And I've always had that mentality. I always will. Because the moment that you don't have boots on the ground, you lose sight. Yeah, And that's where a lot of that's forged.
1: And I think that when it comes to deciding who you bring into that inner circle having the the knowledge that having the boots on the ground experience is the most important is huge because if you are you know in a college situation and you want to have a mentor that's a professor or something like that and your goal is to do something that isn't teaching right that might not be the best person for you right. it's probably going to be right. best for you to find someone that is 2 years older than you that was just eating Two years it, ago. Is
2: absolutely doing it. And is doing- Dude, the amount of accountants, lawyers, professors, and other like professionals that have told me that this was a horrible plan are innumerable.
0: <laughs>
2: but, but the thing is, it's is not their fault, right? That's their training. Their training right. is risk aversion. Right. Like how do you take somebody that their entire career and probably their default personality type because they were attracted to that career in the first place is a naturally risk averse person- and convince them that entrepreneurship is dope. (laughs) It's hard. It's really difficult. You don't see, like, that's why people that are like accountants and entrepreneurs are enigmas and they're so successful because those traits don't normally mix. Yeah. Same thing with lawyers. Somebody that is programmed to be risk-averse is not generally the person that is jumping off the cliff with nothing but a hacky sack full of tools. (laughs) Like.
0: Well, if I could uh, just share a quick anecdote. Yesterday I was trying to prove a point to some individuals okay, and we were, you know, going to the hospital to visit my grandma. Uh, and then also just went on a, a few other places, a few other meetings I had and I put on my shirt and I put my coat over it. So nobody, nobody saw it, but I wrote 10 minute lesson on solving a Rubik's cube for $5. And, you know, just because I know how to solve a Rubik's cube, I thought, okay, I have one. I could do that. Right. Right. And my pitch to anybody that was asked, oh, well, can't I learn this on YouTube would be, well, yeah, of course you can. I already did. But I can show you here in person and then you can ask questions. Right. Right. So kind of that would be the advantage that I would be giving. And I made 15 bucks yesterday. Nothing crazy. But I taught three individuals and I also was then able to kind of market and bring up the podcast. Uh, and mm-hmm. so it was, it was kind of just a fun little experience in that consulting idea i now know how to do this and so i can right, right? and it's kind of creating something out of nothing uh or For maybe sure. not something out of nothing but something out of the time dedicated to learning right yeah i just want to bring that up as my introduction to consulting yesterday
2: yeah I think it's, it's like you're creating, rather than creating something out of nothing, I feel you're creating a way of seeing something that was already there in a new way. Because reality doesn't really shift that much, but our ability to perceive it does over time. I believe in objective truth. I believe in natural law type of mentalities. So despite what we might try to create, let's say, like we're bringing into existence in a way, we're more so discovering
0: it than creating it. If that makes sense.
1: Do you think there's such a thing as an original idea? Oh,
0: I literally was about to just type that. All right. I mean, you won't believe me,
1: but. <laughs> well, your idea wasn't original because I came up with it
0: first. I thought it first.
2: <laughs> I think he's got an assault rifle on one of those buttons over there. <laughs> um, yes. So the reason why I think that there is such a thing as an original idea, right, is because I believe ideas are kind of like entities. If you think of planes of existence, we exist on a plane that we're capable of perceiving with our brain. And a great way to exa- like example this that's like really distilled down is vision. Depending on the types of neurons you have present in your eye, you can perceive different variables of color. We know animals can see greater color schemes than us. Some can see infrared. There's other stuff. So that's a fundamental shift of your reality just through biology. So that's one plane. Now there's this separate arena that I like to think of where it's patterns of the universe exist, right? I For me, it's angels, it's spiritual beings, it's, it's divine energy, it's things that could connect. And you remember how I said when I was raised, there was like this black veil. And then eventually I started feeling like bullets poking through and light was shining in. And I was like, oh, I have to go this direction, even though I'm very comfortable inside of this little bubble those bullet holes were ideas so like those ideas are original in a sense that like my consciousness is the only consciousness that has ever interacted with that eternal idea in that way ever mm-hmm. and it will only my consciousness engaging with that idea will be unique from now in perpetuity because i am the only consciousness that has existed that is my consciousness
1: yeah my my example We asked this question on the last podcast that just got released, which is why, because talking about AI, can they create an uh, original idea? And Tommy was saying, well, is there such thing as original, or are we just repackaging everything that we've learned based on our experiences, blah, blah, blah.
2: It kind of depends on your definition of original, I guess.
1: Yeah, exactly. And for me, it was like, I I believe, first of all, in unique (coughs) inspiration. So I think inspiration is a thing. And if you talk about Michelangelo seeing the Sistine Chapel, yeah, he was inspired by the story of creation, but what he saw and then was able to actually put out mm-hmm. on that ceiling—that was a, a unique and original idea. It was a, a, and most pieces of art, no matter what the medium is, that is the expression of an original
2: idea. You guys know who Stephen Pressfield
0: is? The name sounds very familiar.
2: So you guys would really, really enjoy him. He has this um, book called The War of Art. Or the war on art. One of the yeah, two?
0: that's Sorry. definitely where I've heard it. Rogan's mentioned it many yeah, times. Yeah.
2: So I love Pressfield. Um, and he so he talks about this this X factor, um, that lies on the opposite side of resistance, and a large thing that makes up the resistance, this voice in your head that prevents you from believing that you're capable of originality, is that mentality. That there is no, there such, is no thing. such thing as an original idea, that forms this wall that you have to engage with and fight with that like fights against you. You're not capable of creating this. There's no way like you're screaming into a void. Somebody has already regurgitated this. This is just because the the natural instinct of the creative is to create something original. Yep. So if they don't feel like they're creating something original, it's not worth it for them. But that resistance is necessary because it forces the original idea out of you. Mm. And so Pressfield says, by necessary rite of passage, moving through that resistance, true originality
0: is found, mm. right? So I've asked four people since we talked about it last week on our AI podcast, and everybody's had a different response. Mm. And so therefore, I think it kind of proves that there are original thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way. It's one You're thing. like, I've done proofed myself. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. But I, I mean, to me, there has to be original thoughts at the start, right? Because if if there was, you know, Adam and Eve, there had to then be an original thought there. You know, if you want to take it in a non-theological way, there had to be a first person to do many of the, all the firsts, or I guess all the firsts, Right. right? And also the idea of that something's only impossible until someone does it. People thought that a four minute mile was impossible and then someone did it. And right, oh, everybody runs four-minute yeah. yeah, right. So that's where we thought
2: it was hot air killing people in hospitals, and we, then we figured out it was bacteria.
1: No, that was tough too, because that was like uh, they.
0: I've been away from hot air for a long time because <laughs> I. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> that, well, that, there was a story though. The person that like first theorized the bacteria's existence, like they just they shoved them, them in a mental and, hospital. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Called them crazy. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Usually the people because it wasn't a part with, of the reality construct.
2: Right. But that goes back to my earlier point that reality is discovered by us as our consciousness evolves. It hasn't changed.
1: Well, and, and mm. the, we've
2: changed. The
1: fact of mm. objective. we can perceive
2: more or less. Actually, IQ's been going down over the last decade, but that's a different conversation.
1: As have a lot of things. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the fertility. Exactly, uh, all of those uh, things. Uh, <laughs> uh, the things that allow society turn to survive. Frogs, right. Stop what? it. Stop it. What? Just doing a Joe, uh, a, uh, Alex Jones impression. No. Um, yes, you, you are. I scan 5,000 documents a day, Joe.
0: All right. You just haven't heard it. Yes, I have. I know exactly what you're oh, talking I about. Oh, I thought it was funny. <laughs> nice one. Listen, Paul, I'm just who I am at all times.
2: You guys kill me. I love this dynamic. I <laughs> should definitely be host, co-host for forever.
1: <laughs> Objective reality as uh, something that can be discovered and has a rational basis, though, yeah. I think ultimately leads to theological belief i I think if Mm. you if you observe the world and say this is rational and understandable it's so hard to come up with that from a chaos theory so i don't really understand how like hardcore atheists like i understand someone that's agnostic that just hasn't gone through the process of asking the questions finding one that they believe in yeah yeah it, I, I can't really understand the people that view the world as understandable and rational and yet don't believe in a rational mind behind it.
0: Mm. Hmm. Um, intention. Okay. I was playing uh, Secret Hitler on Saturday. Have you ever played that game? I have no idea what that is. It's kind of like Mafia. I'm so curious now. <laughs> it's kind of like Mafia, uh, but there are two teams, the fascists and the liberals. The and liberals are
1: the good guys, to be clear. Okay.
0: The, the liberals are the, the good... Well. Neither team's really good in a sense, right? Because the team
1: with Hitler's bad.
0: Yes, yes. It,
1: <laughs>
0: it's <laughs> Go
1: ahead there, Tommy. Go explain. So it anyways, me.
0: it's a board game, guys. It's it's about Germany in the, you know, 30s, 40s. So there's the fascists and the liberals. The fascists are the minority. Okay. And they know who the other fascists are. The liberals don't know who anyone is specifically. They only know who they are themselves, okay. My point with intention was on Saturday we went in and I just had a blast just I was playing like different characters. I was playing like the stoner liberal uh, who was actually a fascist, you know but and, and just like playing different characters, different roles okay. and my intent going in was to have fun. but when the Palace and clan gets together, we're very aggressive no. Competitive. Competitive, athletic, and intelligent. And those three things, when surrounded by family, don't don't tend to to bring out the best. Right. So my intent going in was winning <clears throat> instead of having fun. And on Saturday, when I went in with the intent of having fun, I won every single game. But when I went in with the intent on winning... Some weird flex. <laughs> humble brag. Hum- humble brag. <laughs> We're allowed to do that here. We're allowed All to right, do right. that right. here. a safe space. <laughs> <laughs> but... When I went in with the intent of winning, when I didn't win, I was angry. and like, It robs you of joy. I kind of realized the next day on my walk, I was like, I need to choose my intent going mm. in to, you know, depending on what sort of game I'm playing. And if you're gamifying certain aspects of your life, what is the intent going in? Well, and that, that goes back to what Jan was saying on social media, right? Well, that's, that's kind of why I, I took a little note there, but... I think the intent pretty much is important in everything, but that also requires nuance. And I think we live in a world that doesn't have nuance at this point. If you're not using nuance, then the intent isn't understood. I think one of the root causes of most problems in the world is miscommunication, whether that's language gaps or just translation errors, Mm. right? When I think something, right, and I'm seeing it in visuals, Paul has made fun of me before but I'll make up words because they sound like the right thing for me to say at that point right how do we try and use communication to to communicate intent
2: so how do we communicate the intent the nuances of our intention
0: yeah that's a great question
2: when you set out to do something right and I'll use your example of the board game as a great example of this say like winning versus having fun. I've oriented my entire self towards being able to live in as close to alignment as I can to my religious values because what it results in, that pattern of life that results from that, allows me to exist in a constant state of play. But it it allows me to be my 12-year-old self with a lot more responsibility and I'm disciplined and I have to be an adult you know, a lot of the time. You're using but your I don't juvenile use that, mind. I'm using my juvenile mind. I don't ever lose that childlike vision, right? Have you guys ever read The Screw Tape Letters? No, it's on my no. list. Uh, we, we did do um, okay, uh, so it's a, Mere
1: Christianity earlier. Yeah, so year. it's a
2: book by C.S. Lewis, and he describes, um, like, the way that a demon would teach a sub-demon to tempt humans, and it's a really eerie book, right? Because it's very, it's very in tune with the voices that you tend to hear from, like, the darker side of your conscious. And one of the ways that he says is, like, is when you rob people of joy. And I said that earlier. When you can slip into somebody's ear and you can convince them, hey, the goal here is not to have fun and make memories with your
0: family. The goal here is to win.
2: That voice starts entering and you know that your values are to honor people, to have a good time, to not be greedy, to not be lustful, to not be boastful. You know, when you live in humility and love and love being the greatest of all, if you can project that into all situations, all you want to do is play. And you want to see other people have fun and you want to have fun and that becomes your life. So that if your intention is to project love, then everything else kind of falls into place around that. If your point is to win, then you're right. That demon, what it'll do is it'll lead you down that path. You'll win or it'll just rob you of it right before you're about to achieve it. And then it cripples you.
1: That reminded me of a couple of things. My dad was a a very holy man in my life. um, And, there were things that when I was a child frustrated me. So we would be in line at the airport mm. uh, in, in the security line, and there would be a two-year-old child ahead of us. And he would immediately start making faces and p- kind of playing with the kid. And I'm like, Dad, this is a stranger. Like, this is weird. <laughs> like, stop doing that. Right. But you're totally right. When you, when you live with that authenticity and trying to project love in everything that you do, it's easy to end up in those situations where even with a stranger, you're, you're playing, you're you're having fun. You are making the best of every single interaction.
2: Yeah. So there's two other layers I want to add to it. And I think it'll really answer your question full circle. So the second layer is always ask yourself, if I win, what have I won? And if I've won nothing, let them win. I don't want a trophy that says I verbally abused an 80 year old woman in a board game.
0: (laughs) That'd be a tough trophy for the rental. It's interesting you put it that way.
2: What have I won? I made fun of grandma. Cool. That's what that trophy (laughs) says. So if you've won nothing, let them win. Why rob somebody else of happiness that you know you could have had that will probably serve them better? And then the humility piece is just not bringing it up that you could have won. You just let them have it.
1: I have someone in my life that's very good at that too. To the point where in his mind him winning is taking away the joy from someone else yeah and so, you gotta be
2: careful right and, yeah because it's okay to win it is yeah. okay yeah
1: and we have to be like no like, that's not what you would do here. Like, play the winning card. Like, you have it. We know you have it. Like, just do it. Yeah. Because we're all competitive. So, the idea that someone would just be like,
2: oh, oh if it's all a good sport, I'll cut, us. I'll cut somebody. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, like, I mean, that's that's what fighting gave to me, right? right? Like, I'll punch somebody right in the mouth. Right. In good fun, right? But when <laughs> when you're done sparring... I'm not going to, you know. Cheap shot you. Cheap shot you. Yeah, I'm not trying to kick you in the balls, right? right. Like, I'm going to play by the rules of the game. And that's so that's how you can engage and play well, right? i got one more layer. So that's that second piece, right? Being able to figure out what you've won. And then that third layer of, like, figuring out that intention piece and really engaging with it is if you engage with an intention and you notice that it starts to reinforce itself to you, In a positive direction or a negative direction. You have to be able to discern what is, it's reinforcing yourself. So, like, you said, an intention to go out and do something. If you're seeing relationships show up in your life, like, out of nowhere, that are reinforcing this decision. Like, I'll use two examples of this. One is when I was a drug dealer. And just more and more people that dealt drugs entered my life. And next thing I knew I had a connect that had Coke, right? Those decisions will manifest yourself to you based on your intention, right? my intention was to be cool and make money. And those types of relationships manifested themselves into my life. When my intention switched to, I'm going to love as many people as I can and I'm going to have as much fun as possible. I wasn't capable of acting in a way that would orient me towards harming another person.
1: And so less Coke dealers showed up in your life.
2: Right, right. Like more wholesome people showed up, like the relationships changed. I had to shed that identity, yep. you know, to move into this place. But that's that third piece. Like when you start to notice, like it, you can see it, it will reinforce itself to you over time. And it really sucks when you get three years into a process and you look back and you're like, wow, my intention was misaligned and I have been reinforcing myself in this habit for three years and a lot of people like I've been in that place and I have been the person that does not want to make eye contact with myself in the mirror because I've done some horrible things and looking at that self and going back to the intention of love and being like, no, I need to love this version of me. I need to integrate this version of me. God has accepted this version of me. And you start to continue to lean into that abundance. If you can't, it just gets really, really hard to do any of the proceeding. Like if you don't have that piece, the rest of it is just you're not gonna be able to have the patience. If you don't if you don't have that love with yourself, you're not gonna have the patience to let somebody else win. It's where I say, like, that third piece is is love is not just soft. Love can be very aggressive, it can be firm, it can be passionate. Like we're the only language that has one word that describes love. Everything else describes it in multiple facets. I look at love as both the thing that makes me the most vicious person I know. And the calmest person I know, because if I get that viciousness out of it, it's because I'm standing against chaos, right? There's people that are falling around me and I'm going to be a mountain. Mm-hmm. I'm unshakable when I'm rooted in that.
1: This is a, a little bit of an aside, but something that you said um, stuck out to me there, which was the the shedding of the previous identity. Right. Um, and as, say you're a, a, a young woman that has a plan for a business, but- Doesn't know how to start self-identifying as an entrepreneur. Hmm. What is the best suggestion that you can give someone to accept that? Yes, this is who I am. I would assume you would say something about the undeniable proof, and that makes sense. But in saying, okay, well, Well, I don't think
2: that you're not capable of doing that in the initial recognition. I don't think
1: you're not capable of saying I'm an entrepreneur
2: not not based on undeniable proof because you don't have any proof yet. Right, okay. Right? Is that what you were kind of going for? I was for? saying
1: like start building that would be what your suggestion would be. But yeah, it's like no. you have to have yeah. the identity first before right. you right. can really build it.
2: Well, I think it's two. it's twofold, right? Like it's almost like you have the frame of the vehicle, right? When you first start, it's like you have the frame of the identity. But if you break down like what makes up somebody's identity, it's... Social relationships, it's personal habits, it's self-talk and belief, it's psychological health, it's physical wellness, it's orientation and goals, it's um, romantic relationship. There's all of these things that go into forming identity. Yep. Identity isn't something that just spontaneously shows up. A piece of it is. Yep. A piece of it definitely is. But we're social beings by nature, biologically. So we are incapable, that's why solitary confinement is punishment, right? Like we are incapable of really forming true identity without reference. Yeah. Um, people that slip into complete identity self-sustainment without any sociological reference are schizophrenic. They're purely rational, purely logical. They have no emotional context, no sociological context whatsoever. So logically it might make sense that an alien is injecting this thought into their brain it doesn't make any holistic sense. Right. Right. When you have that initial origin point and you start to think, Oh, I have this idea or you get put into a situation where you don't have a choice, but to make a decision that guides you towards entrepreneurship. Because I've met entrepreneurs, I've met, I've talked to hundreds of entrepreneurs at this point and not all of them just spontaneously had a light bulb moment and dove into something. Some of them got laid off and were forced to start a business. Some of them, a parent died and they took over a business. Some of them, you know, entrepreneurship found them in some ways. Some people forged that identity for themselves. But one thing that I see that consistently shows up across all of them, regardless of how that origin point happened, is at some point they reach that divergence and that's where the inflection happens. It's not when, that's the, when they shed the identity. That's when they shed. The that's identity. when they have to shed one and move one. Okay. Like so, entrepreneurship yeah. kind of manifests to people in a bunch of different ways, but there's always a crossroads that comes where it's this is your previous life, this is where this could go, and you have to choose. Some people don't, and they don't their entire lives, and they just end up nowhere. like extremely unhappy, or they end up nowhere, yeah. um, or they don't even start, right? Because they're not willing to shed that piece. So
1: would your suggestion maybe be for someone that finds themselves questioning whether or not this is something they're going to pursue or whatever it is, is uh, continue living your life as holistically as you can well, and when the crossroads happen, take stock, do the pros and cons, consider everything, and then go balls to the wall with whatever decision you make?
2: Yeah, I don't think there's any in between. I think that if you are locked into the process and like I'll use my current life as an example, right? My Monday through Friday is generally 14 hour days. I'm up 545, I'm boxing or I'm working out. I'm taking a cold plunge. I'm at work by seven and I'm working until sometimes 10 o'clock at night. Either here recording podcasts or, you know, I view a lot of different things as work. But on the flip side of that, do I really feel like I'm quote unquote working? like this is considered work for me. <laughs> right? Like this is this is PR. Right. Right? Um but I'm really just drinking Weller and a Michelob with <laughs> my buddies. Um, so that kind of it's an experience, right? At this point. Like I built you build a life around the things that you want to be able to do, the one things you want to be able to experience. And then the more you do it and the longer you do it for, the more opportunities will start to manifest themselves to you just because of length of duration of reputation. There's something about doing something for a long period of time that people just go, "Huh, he must really mean what he says." You yeah. know, and there's literally no other way to get that huh moment than just to do it for 5 years. Yeah. You you there's no shortcut. Yeah. There's none. Zero. And the amount of things that you learn along that 5-year path are going to be things that you treasure. And like a big piece of advice that I got from John actually when we first did it, he was like, you will only build and fail at your first company one time. (laughs) And he was, and it's, it's been such a true thing that I've always held true. Like I've always held no matter the highs, the lows, the middle moments, the monotonous weeks, the weeks where we have 10 projects kicking off, like, you know, whatever the week brings, I, I realistically every single day and religiously, hold to the fact that it is the only time I will ever get the chance to experience that moment ever in my life. And I sit there with it and I'm present with it as often as I possibly can. And to your point, it doesn't really matter where you're pointed. If you feel like you're wanting really to start being an entrepreneur, start being an entrepreneur. And the longer you can embody it, the higher the probability you'll become it. Don't fake it till you make it. Because if you start living somebody else's life because you're faking it, because you're trying to be ahead of where you actually are, you're just going to create dissonance in yourself and you're going to beat yourself up for not being somewhere you're not meant to be. Yep. Right. But if you embody who you are, where your feet are at, that's why they say, keep your head where your feet are. Right. If you embody where you're at every day and you're like, hell yeah, I get to send out 50 cold outreach messages today because I'm an entrepreneur within my first two years of building a business and this is what we do. Right,
1: and I, I really wish that like that is a um, a mark of entrepreneurship is like you have to do all of these things in order to have a chance at being successful, and if you're not doing them, you're hundred percent guaranteed failure. right. The part that you said of this is the only time I get to experience this, yep is true for everyone in every moment every moment and and that is something that just I, I wish more people appreciated when they were younger, because at least uh, for me, and it's there's a famous quote from Andy Bernard in the office. It's like, man, I wish we knew we were in the good times before they were gone right yeah. and and when you talk about yeah I'm only gonna get to build and fail my my company the first my, my first, first company <laughs> the one, one time, time every action and every decision that you make in your life that leads you to a moment you
0: only get to that moment one time so mm-hmm. just make the most of it so it's it's maybe a little bit tangential but I guess I was gonna ask and I feel like I already know the answer but do you think that you had to go through some of those lows, that you had to go, you know, be a drug dealer in order to be where you're at now?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that, like, I... Do you have any uh, regrets, in a sense? No, no. I I feel like um, I did have regrets until I learned to forgive my past self, Right. Um, once I learned that that version of myself just wanted me to love them and integrate them into my life um, and not try to hide them from people or try to pretend that they didn't exist, it will fight you. Because you have to think of it as a version of you that was less empathetic, that didn't have as much knowledge as you do now. And it's a part of your personality that is so deeply ingrained in you, it will grab you by the balls and hold you hostage if you let it. But... If you say, hey, this version of myself that I wasn't super proud of, you taught me things. I'm proud of you for surviving what you did. Welcome into my personality. It's a lot easier to deal with when they feel loved, right? And so that version of myself taught me street smarts. It taught me how to communicate with so many different types of people. It taught me to negotiate at a super young age in very high stakes situations, Right, very drastic um, situations, yeah. Like, you know, I'm going to jail type of situations. Um, and then that just continued to steamroll. Right, nursing has nothing to do with business, it taught me empathy and gave me a stress tolerance that no one in the business world can compete with unless they've been in medicine. And it taught me a work ethic that was 12 hours a day. You know, the military gave me things that it gave me, all of these experiences accumulated. But until you reach a point of maturity where you're willing to integrate. All of those experiences into one holistic person, it's, it's really difficult to grapple with all of them because you're like, I have all these random skill sets. Where am I going? Especially as an entrepreneur. But I think that's one unique thing that in being involved in entrepreneurship so early in my life gave me is that I saw all of these different things that I was good at. I saw me as a psych nurse. I saw me in the military. I saw me as this. I saw me as this. And at some point, like I said earlier on, it all clicked and all of them kind of came together. And that's what really kind of propelled you forward.
0: Can I share a little story? Yeah. So, you know, I'm co oping in Fayetteville back in, I think, 2019. And Paul introduces me to the, the Apex. Yeah. Right? I listen to that. I'm on a Rogan kick. I want to start my own podcast. I buy my gear. I bring Paul over. <laughs> so we start recording. I came up with this name, the other perspective. I have this idea behind it. Yeah, I right? remember. And then... uh yeah you know, summer comes and some roadblocks happen, right? Some people in my life die and now it sets me into a depression, right? right. Then I actually go on another co-op and, you know, the depression is still going on. And then I come back and I'm, I'm figuring things out, right? I'm, I'm going to get back on. But then all of a sudden COVID happens, right? Another yeah. setback, another two steps back. And then the idea still is there, but, you know, I'm kind of not really doing much. But then I, you know, do a 75 hard. I call you, right? The second call I had with you, and, you know, I had a little bit better of an idea. And then, you know, fast forward, the podcast, you know, as we're building it, really developing that character that you're talking about, both Paul and I, really, I think, developing that character back in November when we started really putting purpose and meaning to this. Mm. And because of all these influences, we're all sitting in this room right here it's a rather interesting story of failures, setbacks. And now
1: just to build off that. Yeah. I mean, we didn't talk about really having guests on until after that, when we were like, all right, we're going to have a season two, we're going to change how we're doing things a little bit. And we want to bring other people in because if we're going to provide some value, it can not all come from us. So, um, and it, yeah, it's, I mean, it's so cool that the podcaster that I introduced my buddy to who then inspired him to build a podcast yeah. that is now my co-host <laughs> on a podcast. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Crazy. You know, we get to all be together. Now, so the that's...
0: question that comes out of that, what are the biggest roadblocks that you have had that you can share with us that maybe took you two steps back while on this journey of entrepreneurship? It's a great question. The well, ina- Thank you.
2: The inability to be candorous with friends was a big one. Wow. Um. There's people in your life um, that, you know, you really, really care about, that you love, that may not be healthy for whatever goal that you're trying to do. Candor is something that's necessary for those of you that don't know what candor is. It's like like radical honesty, radical basically, truth. Yeah. radical truth. Um, that's why I really like the book Twelve and a Half that Gary just came out with, and he talks about kind candor as a skill, basically being able to deliver harsh truths tactfully is yep. um, a skill set. And I've been learning that since I was an RN you have a neurosurgeon come in and be like, you have a golf ball in your head. You're dying in six months. And then the nurse is there to clean up what that untactful delivery of candor does to a person. So I can, I see what it does to people I saw what it does to people in their weakest moments. And I was afraid to use it because of that. But not being able to be brutally honest with people that are around you is difficult. Not being able to be vulnerable and transparent. Because if you're not able to be honest with them, it leaks into other areas. Of what you're doing. So, how did that
1: damage your your journey or how did that slow you down when you were struggling with that previously?
2: Um, I think that it has like lost me clients. Um, I think that it has um, like allowed me to allow people to have influences over parts of the organization for longer than they probably should have. You know, whether that's mentors or, you know, anybody that really had an influence over where the direction was going. If I If I would have had the ability to tell them no earlier on and had that faith and confidence in myself as an executor. Yeah. But I think that's just part of growing as an entrepreneur, right? Like I didn't know what I was doing. So I was leaning on these people. Yeah. Um, and even though my intuition was telling me that their advice was wrong, I wasn't willing to trust my intuition yet. Cause I hadn't built that relationship with myself yeah. yet. Right. I didn't have that stack of undeniable proof. And then I think the other one is, is probably balancing my, what I like to call like the ego drama versus Theo drama, right? Like the, the play that my ego is trying to convince me that I'm capable of doing versus the calling and the purpose that God has implanted in my life in the macro of the universe's existence. You know, sometimes I I want to go off on tangents and and just like shout from the mouth to, or like the rooftops about like how dope everything is and and like really just get up people and like just be that loud in your person the in your face vexatious type motivational person because that is a very deep rooted part of my personality. But I, on the flip side of that, I understand that my role in the Theo drama is to be more of a gentle giant and to be somebody that, in the long term can showcase you can be hyper successful and also be a good man, because I think that's getting rarer and rarer, and so I really look at my think my role in the Theo drama is like you can believe in God, you can respect people in a way that is still inclusive. You can balance law and religion. You can respect different theologies. You can have intellectual conversations and enthusiastic debates with people of completely opposite belief as you and still leave friends. Like, if you can orient yourself and become a man that can balance both of those things, because, I mean, I'm saying that because we're all men in here, right? Like, same same side on the feminine side of the energy. But if you can learn to balance all those things, that's like the ultimate And becoming an
1: integrated person that is able to do all that—I mean, that's the that's the struggle of a lifetime, right? Like that is the—it's what
2: allows you to command a room, right? It's what attracts people to you. Like when you have that, there's people. Even Adam will say, like, me just being here makes people want to be more productive. I don't even have to say anything. I just do what I do. I come in, I say hi, I dap people up, I have a good time. I might hit a joint. I sit down and I start working, right? And just. Because I'm a metronome, I'm here every day. I'm taking out trash. You know, I'm seven a.m. to six p.m. I'm just I'm predictable, and it just makes people like, oh, I want that, and people start to it, that's that's that law of attraction, right?
0: Uh, visually, right that that whole little sphere thing. Yeah, I think what you're talking about in my mind is the overlap or that fourth dimension, right? Where now you're adding multiple spheres, right, for individuals, right. and. People can be pointed at the exact same point but facing the opposite direction. If my sphere is over here and my vector's this way, right, and your sphere is over here and your vector's pointed directly yep. opposite of me. Yep. But that point is actually the same. Anyways, that's just me.
2: Dude, you're melting people's brains right now. I'm tracking you, but I can definitely no, like, see. I'm I can
0: definitely
1: I'm just see. Trying to. I'm just trying to think of the actual application. So it's like, all right, are we aiming at the same thing but from inverted points?
0: No, because think about it in a – in a spherical sense, right? You you have your sphere.
1: Yeah, yeah, I got it. And, and you've got, got yours. It's a it's a multiverse. You see all the different spheres. Exactly. All the different people. The
0: overlap of two po- two people's like same purpose can still have you in opposite directions, right? So well, that's that's okay. necessarily it will. You can
2: get you can that's like that's being aligned with the spirit of that idea. Yeah. Right. So like. When you interact with somebody like an Aristotle or a Plato or a Socrates or a Friedrich Nietzsche or a Jung or a C.S. Lewis or a whoever, they all had these vectors, right, towards the same pursuit, whether that's meaning. There's a lot of these
0: things at the top, virtue. Understanding. There's a lot of stuff
2: that lies at the top. If I had to name all those spherical points on the outside, it would be all philosophical and theological questions. Two people can have completely separate life experiences and be oriented towards the same point, but it's still a pursuit of that singular truth, maybe explained through different lenses, right? Whether that's cultural or upbringing-wise or language or you know they're diff- They're dealing with different toolboxes at their disposal to describe that thing.
0: Um, you did a way better description. I was gonna
1: say I just I like the. Um, I don't think that the. The visual metaphor you were using there, the visual description is the best possible for whatever you're trying to accomplish about people aiming in the same way. It's so the that's way that
0: way. I think about it, right? So yeah. maybe I haven't articulated it well, but... Jan was able to do that.
2: Could you picture that point maybe emitting spheres of light every now and then? And those things, those vectors that are pointing towards that, if they end up touching that, think of that as like an idea hitting a person, right? And we talked about that unique relationship each consciousness has with each idea. That point doesn't change. That point is, is truth, right? So those spheres, as they kind of touch that peripheral, they get sucked into like an orbit and they get pulled
0: in to that point. So I think it's actually not even really a point cuz in the fourth dimension I think it's actually a plane. So it's a plane of purpose, right? Cuz if you're anyways, I'm I should write a math book, I think.
2: Yeah. Think of it, I'm I'm picturing like a black hole. It's like a pinprick and then it pulls people in that momentum cuz like that ideas makes more
1: sense. again, once again, I, Hey, that's fine. Ideas
2: cuz ideas like I said, they they are they exist in perpetuity throughout space and time. Right,
1: we're gonna to have to hold off on publishing this uh, podcast until Tommy can accurately uh, get a two D visualization uh, of I'll draw the it.
0: three or four D ideas I'll, that we have here. You can't draw so a four can... dimensional idea, <laughs> but I can try. So we should probably yeah, wrap we should this probably. up. <laughs> uh, this has been an awesome. <laughs> Thank episode you, Adam.
1: Of wow. I love Grace. you.
2: Appreciate <laughs> you for being here.
1: Yes. Uh, This has been, uh, Paul and Tommy doing our first co-interview, by the way, we've interviewed like five people. Each of us have just done one-on-ones, uh, with Jan Almasy, entrepreneur, podcaster, uh, extraordinaire, literally everything. Uh, (laughs) Inspiring renaissance man is what I like to say. That's awesome. That's 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 an interesting way of putting it. Um, uh, and one of my oldest friends. So I'm so glad to have you on the pod. Uh, thank you for, for joining us for this episode of Brace. And, uh, if you got something from this, please, uh, share it, uh, and, let us know what that what that is, and if it was the the three D representation of whatever ideas Tommy had, uh, you are the only person. So congratulations, <laughs>
2: man! You guys are relentless. <laughs>
1: hey, it's all in good fun. It's all good yeah, fun. yeah. Exactly. All right, and we will talk to you next time. Peace.
0: Bye. We ask you to follow us on Instagram at brace.22. Paul's Twitter is at from Brace, and be sure to email us at brace22 at protonmail.com. Please leave us a five-star review wherever you are listening, and send to a friend if you found value in this discussion. Thanks, we appreciate it.